0: to this week's The Net NetMegaSys podcast. Myself with fit the host, and as usual, I'm joined along with my co-host, Chris. Hey, Chris. How are you doing, mate?
1: Yeah, I'm about mate yourself.
0: Yeah, all doing good, doing good right now. Uh,
1: so Staying Vic safe, yeah? Yeah. Over yeah, there, so I know it's a bit hectic over there at the minute. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean... Uh, a family member tested uh, positive a few weeks back, a couple of weeks back, but now he's fine.
1: So. Oh, that's good news, hope, mate.
0: Hope, hopefully, it's uh, it's good news. So, yeah.
1: That's good. Yeah. Quite good. Uh, and uh, you're happy with the result last night, are
0: you? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm happy with the result, though. But I'm pretty pretty sad with the, or it's it's a pretty bad condition with the sleep schedule right now because of all the football games, all the midnight games here in India. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's fair.
0: Yeah stuff like that so yeah happy to see Thiago getting his first call yesterday yeah yeah right. well
1: yeah
0: so coming back to the main topic for this episode this is a bonus episode for those who are listening this is about Inter Milan or International winning the Scudetto winning the Scudetto breaking Juventus's monopoly for years and years so this is a huge episode. We are going to be looking or diving deep into some stats as well as some tactics as to how Inter has kind of pulled this off under Antonio Conte. A year ago, we, both both me and Chris, we spoke to Niemata Vele from Sempre Inter, who's a journalist, who's a well-known journalist. He also works for the Italian football podcast as well, which is a really good podcast. So we spoke with him a year back and he said that he probably had doubts over Conte staying at the club because of how volatile his figure was. But luckily enough for the club, he stood, he corrected his mistakes, and he's gone on to win the Scudetto. What an achievement, Douglas, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the first one in eleven years. It's the nineteenth as well, which it takes it takes them one above AC Milan now in terms of Scudettos as well, I believe. So, but. I'd, when you think about it, when you you think about Antonio Conte as a manager, I think it was inevitable that he would win the league at some point. I think they finished a point behind Juventus last year, um, runners up in the Europa League. So they certainly they were certainly building towards um, another title challenge this year. And like you said, Riff, it was it, it was touching goal whether he was actually going to stay uh, in pre-season at Inter Milan. But yeah, and. Um, thankfully for them he has done and it's it's looked like a it's looked like a pretty it's a foregone conclusion really since about probably January I'd say maybe February it, it's looked like inevitable uh, that they would go on and win it. certainly with the run of, form, run of form that they've been hitting anyway and they've been fantastic to watch I've watched them a few times this year uh, there's been a lot of reports out there saying that they've been a bit a bit defensive or things like that I think anyone knows or any Chelsea fans certainly would agree that Antonio Conte's football is not just because you're certainly good defensively, which teams are, they're still enjoyable to watch. They're still fast in transition. So I don't buy that. I've, I've, I've watched them a number of times a season and I've always been, I, I always enjoy watching uh, this Inter Milan team play.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting thing that you mentioned there about Inter being defensive. I mean, if you look at their... Uh... Pressing pattern. You can probably see a trend that as the season went on, their pressing also dropped down, which means they were not pressing really well. And if you look at their PPDA numbers, yeah. uh, uh, based on the uh, based on understat, which is like passes allowed per defensive action in the opposition half. If you look at their uh, pressing numbers, that way they are probably the 13th best in the in the serie, a, which is which is not really surprising. If if you watch them play in the yeah. latter halves of the season, because they press less, but they've used, you no, know, they've actually added value, more value to their possession. They've had like quick interchanges. There was this goal against Sassuolo, which they scored. I I think it was Sassuolo, where uh, I mean there was a quick uh, interchange, 2-3 players, quick interchange in their own half, then a quick switch back to Ashley Young on the left-hand side and Lukaku, Hakimi and Barella making runs into the box and I think it was Lukaku who, who had it in. So, yeah. that, that's the kind of goals that you got from Inter all all season. They've had they've yeah. some really, really amazing goals. And, just looking at the league table, 35 games, 85 points from an expected points of 71 or 72, approximately. And, they have actually overperformed their XG which is great. They've conceded yeah. just 30 goals, which is the best defensive record in the league as well. The the best attacking record in the league, 79 goals, along joint best attacking, along with Atalanta with 79 yeah. goals scored. Just considered 30 goals, which is the best. Just two losses as well this season. So, yeah. this has been a fantastic season for Antonio Ponte's men. And tactically, though, this, I would like to actually ask you about the tactical aspect. What do you think was probably what probably
1: were the patterns do you think were standing out though from Antonio Contes Inter the season? Yeah, well, <clears throat> you've sort of touched on it yourself there with uh, the pressing stats because they actually <clears throat> they actually started the season playing and experimenting with a 3-4-1-2 which is quite unusual for, for Antonio Contes. His teams traditionally play a 3-5-2 although at Chelsea it was a little bit more of a 3-4-3 uh, due to his accommodation of Eden Hazard but He actually experimented playing with a number 10 in the form of Christian Eriksen and the win-backs playing essentially as out-and-out wingers. And if you look at the results of the start of the season, they were scoring some goals, but they were also conceding a lot as well. And uh, it probably hindered them in the Champions League group stage. As we know, they went out early in the group stage. Uh, But I watched them a lot at the start of the season, games like Fiorentina, first game of the season, they won 4-3, beat Benevento 5-2. So they were outscoring teams and they were creating a lot of chances and they were overwhelming teams, specifically from an attacking perspective. But they weren't killing teams off at the beginning. So that 3-4-1, that 3-4-1-2, he cut that back. He cut that back probably approximately when he, probably around the middle of the group stage in the Champions League, probably after the defeat of Real Madrid. And he went back to his traditional 3-5-2, which there was no more it wasn't a high line high line dropped uh, there was no more pressing high which sort of marries into what you're saying there with the p- pressing stats uh, and from that point on they've just not, I wouldn't go maybe, yeah well yeah if you look at the run of form they've lost they've lost one game since that change so uh, it's been it's it's been quite an intriguing season for them tactically just because you don't ex- you didn't, they started playing that formation at the start a formation that you wouldn't associate an Antonio Conte team with. And, yeah, ever since he switched back, and if, if I don't know if you can remember his time at Chelsea, when, when when he won the league in his first season there as well. Yeah, yeah. He started the season playing a 4-3-3, four, four, three, three, didn't he? And then the, they got beat, but there was that sort of famous game at the Emirates where they got beat by Arsenal 3-0, and then he switched back to a 3-4-3, and then he just went on a run that just essentially won them the league, and they didn't get beat. <laughs> I think they, what did he win 14 games on the run was it? I, I think from like November onwards. So it was quite it was quite intriguing tactically to see him do that and use players as well, another <clears throat> using um using players such as Perišić as a wing back and essentially getting the best out of him. Um players like Darmian um, and getting the best out of him, Ashley Young getting the best out of him and Christine Eriksson as well who looked like it looked like it wasn't going to work out for him, didn't it? It looked, like, uh, it looked like Conti didn't fancy him at one point, didn't really, was struggling to fit him in, especially after this switch. But he he's he, he took the number 10 out of the team in that 3-4-1 he's He's essentially playing a number 6 now instead. And that's another switch that he made. And he, he's played Ericsson there sometimes as well. And it looks like the player he, he, he once was at Tottenham now, and he's playing really well, and he's now part of the team, part of the squad, and looks like he, he's a key member of that squad now. So it's good coaching, really. It's a good coach, and there's very few managers around at the moment that can actually do that. And that's why uh, I believe he's certainly one of the top coaches in world football at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, one of the most important things that you mentioned was that
0: they were considering goals early this season. So yeah. that's actually a very, very tricky stack. So, in the first 17 games, they considered, I think, 23 goals. And in their last 18 games, I mean, the last, uh, probably, after that 2-2 two, two draw games, is Roma. I think after uh, they've played 18 games since then, and they've considered just 7 goals in that period. Yeah. And, and all just a single, single, single goal in 7 games, which means they've kept 11 clean sheets as well in the last 18 games, which is a magnificent defensive record, to be honest. And... One of the main reasons for that is having a fixed-back three. I know Milius Crenard yeah. kind of struggled a bit last season. He was finding it hard to transition from a four-at-the-back to three-at-the-back system. There were, a lot of, there were a lot of stick being thrown at him and probably transfer rumours mulling around him as well. But this season, the rise of Alessandro Bastoni, who has yeah. probably been one of my favourite favorite, uh, favorite centre-backs. Uh, in Europe this season, left-footed, very calm, really good passer of the ball, has the long passing, has short passing, he progresses the ball well. I recently did a small data analysis article on him. I really went and watched his clips as well, once again, and I really, really liked the way he played. So, yeah. Bastoni, De Vray, and screenar have actually been a solid, solid pair. You look at the uh, playing time that they've had in this area this season, out of, uh, I mean, from Inter, uh, Bastoni, Divre and Skrinar are probably the I mean, in the top six most played players. And one of them is Samir Handanovic, which is the goalkeeper, obviously. So, yeah. he, he, he gets, obviously, if you put him out, I think only Nico Varela and Romelu Lukaku has played more than Divre and Skrinar. Bastoni is the most, most played outfield player of that Inter. Milan team this season in the Serie A so that speaks a lot about how good the youngster has been he's just 22 and he might definitely probably knock Roberto Mancini's door for the Euros a starting spot in the Euros as well so I think a key part of Inter like breezing through in the last or probably after that early you know uh, mix up was strengthening the defence or getting a proper defensive player or defensive organisation and Having the three players
1: fit and ready whenever they were needed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've touched on Bastoni there. He's been um, he's been really good this season. Uh, whenever I've seen him playing as well, I think balance is the key, isn't it? I think playing this formation the way Conte does, um, a three-five-two can be can on paper essentially look like a very defensive. Formation, but it can also, when you're attacking, be a very attacking formation. And if you get that, if you get that one, if you get the balance right um, within the team and your coach has transition correctly, it can be a formidable formation, really. Especially if it's master Then, <coughs> excuse me. And it does. Uh, it, it seems that like Conte, it, it's his tried and tested formation, isn't it? He, he's a master of that formation. But you touch on, you made the point there, Basto only being left-footed. For me, modern day football now, if you're going to play out from the back um, in the way that Inter Milan do, or most teams do now from the goalkeeper or play from the goalkeeper, you need that balance. You have to set if you, especially if you're playing with three, you need your left foot. You need your left centre half. It has he has to be left footed for me because if he's not, then it makes it a lot easier for the opposition to pressure high. I know it. And cut you off, and a perfect, a perfect. Well you see it in the Premier League. You see a number of teams now playing out from the goal, uh, playing out from the back, or playing from the goalkeeper, as you will. And they're not playing with left-footed centre halves, and essentially they box themselves in because if you come come across a team that can is really clever with the pressing and sets pressing triggers, then you, you're going to lose the ball. But when you watch Inter Milan do it, um, I don't know about you, but when when you look at their centre halves. Not only are they all well balanced and well suited to each other, they can play out from the back, but they, they're also really good defensively as well. They're like, it's like it's like their they their back three has got like a mix of everything, for me. And yeah, like I said, Bastoni at the moment is looking like he's going to go on to be certainly a regular in the national national squad for years to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, like like you mentioned, that that's a very uh, fair point as well. Like they have a mix of talents and a mix of abilities, which which has probably added, you know, uh, it's like putting uh, different colors into a single painting and yeah. make it look more beautiful. It's it's probably similar to that because they have a variety of skill sets. The the center backs, and I think they've done really well in maximizing or I mean everyone's abilities as well. So I think that's one of the main reasons why they've been like able to breeze off in the in uh, so early and win scudetto probably much earlier than uh, before I guess. But also I mean I'm not probably gonna talk too much about Juventus's huge drop off under Andre Perlo, but that also probably uh, took some pressure off them. I guess I guess that that probably took some pressure off them as well, but from defense to midfield to attack, the midfield and the attack. Nico Barella, another player who's been like solid this season. He was solid last season as well, and yeah. he is one player again, another player that I really 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 like because of his variety of skill sets. You want him to play on the wide, he will play on the wide. You want him to play in the center, he'll play in the center. He he has a variety of skill sets. He's good. That is passing. He makes those dart darting runs into the box and gets on gets in on the end of you know crosses or is there in the right position when when you need someone there to strike the ball. He has three yeah. goals and seven assists this season, which is fairly good, which, which I don't think is bad. It's it's fairly good and he's picked up just five yellow cards. But again, you move into the attack, Romelu Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez. 37 goals between them. Lukaku has 21, Martinez has 16. And Lukaku has 10 assists and Martinez has 5 assists as well. So, this is really, really huge. So, Lukaku was probably always brushed off as kind of a small liability in England, which which I kind of hated at that moment, Uh, although he was playing for... The clubs which were seen as rivals for my team, Liverpool, Everton, Manchester United, Chelsea, at one stage as well. So, although he was playing for these clubs, he still had that skill set. He he, but he was probably a bit underrated by a lot of fans. Uh, and moving to Inter, he's he's probably set the world on fire. If I mean we, I think we discussed this probably a few weeks back. Right? When yeah. We talked about the top three center forwards in the last two seasons, Lukaku's name popped up and that shows how good he's been at the Inter under Antonio Conte.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, we mentioned, in like you've just said, we mentioned this on a podcast. I've had I've had the privilege, I think, of watching Lukaku a number of times. He spent four seasons at Everton. I've obviously got a season to get at Everton so I, I watched him near enough every week for them for, four seasons and... He's certainly the best striker I've seen in an Everton shirt, and is probably I'm, probably the best striker I'm ever likely to see uh, at the moment, given the way he, he keeps going on and on and on. But when when you look at it, I know we've mentioned in that podcast. Uh, I think it was last month. We're talking about last two seasons. He scored goals regularly now for seven years. So. What I'm seeing, what I'm seeing now in Italy is, is not a shock for me. He, he, he's a born goalscorer, Romelu Lukaku, and he's a top striker. Certainly, certainly one of the best in Europe at the minute, or in the world. Maybe on current form, is the best. Especially when you look there at, at the assists. I believe, if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, that's the highest number of assists in the league as well. He's joint top, isn't he, in terms of assists as well. So he's 21 goals, second to. Ronaldo and his, and his joint top and the assists as well. Um, people, I thought people were quite, even, I used to listen to Everton fans criticise him because he didn't run enough. And I remember, and I, and I think he was wrong, he was wrongly labelled for that, I thought, because he played in a completely different system here at Everton because he played up front on his own. He's playing up front on his own for a team that is not a top team as well. So you could probably argue that there was maybe a little bit of, of certainly certainly under Ronald Koeman, uh, maybe there was a little bit of lack of service, but he still scored 26 goals in all competitions. That's in his last season at Everton, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, what what can you say about it? what 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 can't you say about the, the, this lad? I mean, I, I thought personally when when he left Everton to go to Manchester United. And it didn't quite go as well at Manchester United. I thought maybe I'd seen the best of them. or Everton as a club had seen the best of them. But obviously, since he's gone, gone on to Inter Milan, he's gone on, he's gone on to a new level. And I think also as well. I always say this about strikers. I don't think you can judge strikers in the modern day, in the modern day game when they're playing up front on their own. I've seen a lot of, I've seen like Timo Werner now at Chelsea goes from playing as part of a two regularly at Leipzig, and then you're playing up front on his own in a system for Chelsea. And even though was at a top 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 team, you've got to add other other attributes get you. Your link-up play has got to be, got to got to improve, and that and that that takes time. That that needs to be worked on. Now Lukaku's gone to playing as part of a two now, and you can see the difference straight away. You can see the benefits that having another striker. Up front, alongside, yeah, brings. It's all. It's almost as if he's gone on to a new level because he's playing up front with someone. He can focus more and improve. It's like you get more time to focus more and improve more on your game. And I don't know. Maybe you can tell me from a statistical point of view: is there a is there a more lethal partnership now in world football than Martinez and Lukaku? I mean, it's hard to judge, though,
0: isn't it? Because people probably have like a trios
1: and a duos uh, yeah. or probably even a quarter probably if you look at well, that, this one etc un- yeah it's unusual isn't it to see sort of two strikers now two yeah. strikers playing up front uh, given the fact that 4-3-3 uh, three, uh, three, three, three is so prominent around world football and even the 4-5-1 4-2-3-1 it all essentially is based with one striker and obviously You get the wide forwards, don't you? Um, Exactly, yeah. The Salas and the Mannies and do you class them as striker? Can you include them as part of a partnership? I'm not so sure. But the Kaku, I mean, those stats that you've brought out there speak for themselves. He's gone on to great things. But again, I will say, it's down to coaching as well. And I think, I can't can't think for the life of me now, have you ever seen a player under Antonio Conte in the last ten years, who hasn't improved? He has. I can't think of a player he's not improved. You can go right through this into bland squad. I think there was a quote. I'm not sure if the if it was last season. It, I don't know if it was before this season or before the season before. And Conte said it must have been. I think it was after last season, but before this season. I think Conte comes out and I, I was reading the interview but he said, "If I if I improve every player in this squad, we will win the league." Uh, and I'm not sure if it was way for way for that, because obviously if an interview would have been in Italian and then translated. And that's what he's done. We mentioned before the likes of Christian Eriksen, Damian, even, even, Alec, even Sanchez. If you look at the form that Sanchez, even though he's played a bit part role at Inter Milan, if you, if you look at that Sanchez compared to the Sanchez at Manchester United, he's he playing an important role when he, he's come in. And whenever he's come in, he's done really well and he's looked like a really good player. And then you compare that to the Sanchez that we've seen at Manchester United, it's like it's, it's like worlds apart. And it's down to coaching. It's, it's down to having a clear idea of what you want to do as a manager. This is the way we're going to play. And I'm going to coach you to play this system. And when you play it and I coach you, we will get the best out of you. And it, it's just, he's a top, he's a top top manager, I think. And I don't think you can underestimate his importance in this Scudetto win uh, for the club, Um and it's a funny when we were, I was doing some I was doing some research about it, and it was a funny little thing that I noticed when he took over Juventus, he inherited a team that finished seventh. So when Conte took over Juventus, it wasn't the Juventus now. It, was, it certainly wasn't the Juventus that Pellegrino took over by nowhere nowhere near. It, they finished seventh, so he inherited that team and he finished. In his first season, he finished first, and he went undefeated at Chelsea. He inherited a team that finished tenth in his first season, won the league, and at Inter, he's done the same thing. Although he obviously finished second in his first season by a point, got to the final of the Europa League as well, and now they've gone on one in the league. So it's hard. It's it's hard not to say that this obviously the Caco Martinez have been crucial to it. Barella has been crucial to it the balance of the back three and their attributes that they bring as individuals have been crucial to it but for me you take Antonio Conte away from this club in the summer or if they own if it would have went pear shaped in the summer and he would have moved on I don't I don't think we'd be sitting here now talking about into winning this league mm,
0: that's
1: a, that's a very good
0: point though I think I think this this is more like a well coached side uh,
1: yeah. a lot of
0: people a lot of people on the internet uh, Twitter, especially, uh, don't rate Antonio Conte really much, uh, which I find it annoying. Recently, probably I've come across a lot of tweets saying that he plays like really an attractive football, but does he get the results? Does he improve players individually, and does he take teams who are not the best in the league to win winning winning the league titles? Uh, he ticks all these boxes. And that's why yeah. he's such a really good manager. I know he's a volatile figure. He's a very volatile figure, and you need someone. And that's where Marotta uh, deserves credit. He's he's kind of held Conte so hard, so firm into the seat at Inter. He's not let the relationship get volatile. He's not let the relationship get uh, you know bad. And that, yeah. that's that's huge credit to Marotta for the way he's he's done that. And when you Back a manager like Conte, when you keep the relationship good and when you give him a team or players that he wants, you get good results. And you mentioned about Alexis Sanchez as well. I just, I I looked at uh, the area stats this season. Alexis Sanchez has a goal or assist every 90, per 90 minutes. Which is like huge. He's the sixth best in the, in 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 this area when you look at those yeah. numbers. I know he's played just about thousand minutes. He's played a big part role this season, but that that is just below Cristiano Ronaldo, and that's yeah. really good, even though it's just the, even if it's just about thousand minutes. So I think Conte's ability to improve players, even Christian Eriksen was probably he he kind of looked out of favor with Conte, and it kind of probably. People were wondering if if he did uh, he he did make the right decision to move to Inter, but everything just changed. That's that's what Conte does when when he when he really really likes a player and when he, he when he really wants a player to succeed. Yeah. So that speaks a lot about Antonio Conte's coaching man management skill as well. So yeah, that's a very very good yeah, point. Yeah, and I of course
1: have. I'm. Yeah, I mean, people might listen to this and say, "Oh, well, he's had money to spend and things like that." And yeah, you could, you can't argue with the club financially backing him. But that's an easy slate. You could slate. That's an easy thing for people to say now. Like, oh, well, he's got the money. He's had the money to the back. You've still got to get the best out of the players. There's a lot of teams in world football that have money. You've still got to get the best out of these players. Do you know what I mean? And Inter Milan have got quite a big squad. Um, and the stats that like you said there about sanchez i i I didn't know those stats. I knew all I knew from a uh, watching into man that Sanchez has come in and whenever he's in, he's a squad player now, but whenever he's come in, he's done really well and he's contributed and he's become effective and that's a sign of good management when you get your squad players to come in and play they' essentially they are squad players, so they're not going to play regularly but when they when when you utilize them effectively, then that's a good sign that's a man that's that's a very good manager. A very good coach. So you look at Sanchez. So he's contributed in 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 statistically. They they're fantastic stats. They're fantastic. You can't argue with them. You cannot argue with them. So to say that that backs up my point. That yeah, he's he's made him an effective player. I mentioned before, uh, Darmian. Now he scored two very crucial goals this year. When he's come in again, he's been very effective. He scored two crucial goals. I think. I think. I'm not sure they might have been winners against Palmer and Calgary, or certainly an equaliser. Anyway, uh, Ericsson, he's converted he's converted Christian Ericsson to essentially a number six. These are things that you just don't see in football anymore. You, you don't you're taking a manager, uh, you're taking a player that is essentially a creative player and who, who play who's traditionally known to play in high up the pitch or certainly affecting the game in the in the final third of the pitch, and you're playing them in a defensive role. And getting the best out of him uh, and Perisic as well Perisic looked like he was finished it into Milan he went from winning the Champions League uh, and playing a crucial part for the Champions League um, by Munich's Champions League win as a winger which essentially he has it always has been for Croatia very good winger as well and he got played sort of off the front one uh, under Conte and it didn't look like it was going to work out and he's, he's turned Perisic from a winger into a, a very very good wing back and again, it's a it's a, it's a role these days that I think people overestimate how easy it is to play, and th- th- these are this is it, it. just you can't label it as anything other but very good coaching. Every player that plays in this team, always whether they play regularly or not, from what I've seen this year, looks like they know what they're doing when they come onto the pitch, and that is a result of very good coaching on the training field. Every player looks like they can just fit into this system and in, and play the way Inter Milan play from week to week. And there's a lot more to it, and obviously we can't go over it uh, essentially because it'll turn into like a three-hour, four-hour podcast. We could sit here talking about this all day. And there's, like said, like you said, there's a lot of people out there now that will say, "Oh well, I don't like Antonio Conte's football." when it comes to that sort of thing of football it's all about opinion some people like attacking football some people like defensive football but just because a person doesn't like it on the eye it doesn't mean it's not good football do you know what I mean everyone likes different fans of football I find it very entertaining because there's too many teams out there at the moment that you can label as an attacking team or they're a defensive team they're an attacking team this team can do both and I think that that is an that is the epitome of a very good team if your team can do both and the stats that like you said the highest goal scoring I think the joint with Atalanta aren't they for the 79 goals scored this season you mentioned Yeah, obviously Atalanta have, have been playing today so that might change and they've also got the best defensive record with 30 goals conceded mm. and you're telling yeah. me that they can't attack and they, oh, they're too defensive no sorry am not buying that they can just do both
0: exactly exactly and I mean this probably brings us to the end of this episode as well. I mean, I guess yeah. we made, made, made a lot of sensible points, I guess, for the listeners. So, yeah. it This is Conte's here, This is Inter's here, And I think it's... it's. I mean, Summing up, I think it's really, really great to see the Monopoly end in the Serie a. I hope yeah. it ends in the Bundesliga next season as well. Because, <laughs> I, I don't know, this, this is a personal thing, I guess. But I always like to see different clubs winning... Uh, the league titles when when it when it becomes a trend or when it becomes like a monopoly, a kind of lose interest. So yeah, I hope it really happens in the Bundesliga next season as well. When someone when someone uh, you know, takes inspiration from what Conte has done and puts that final nail in the coffin for Bayern Munich next season in the Bundesliga.
1: Yeah, and it's funny as well. Uh, you mentioned Maratha there and how crucial he has been. Um, for Conte uh, in his chief executive role I think I think he is classed as chief executive or technical director whatever it is that role is given these days but it, isn't it funny how both of them started at Juventus and they started this nine year reign um, as Italian champions and now it's both of them that have ended it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah and as yeah. W- as well I want to I find this amazing this thing that People don't think he's a very good manager. He's now, I think, and obviously it's only going to increase before the end of the season because I'm sure they'll go out and win the three remaining games as well, but no manager in the history of the Serie A um, or Serie A, sorry, has has a better points per game record or a better average points per game record than Antonio Conte. No manager in the history of Serie A. And that's managers including Saki Trappatoni Lippi Capello Mourinho Ancelotti Ancelotti you look at the managers the prestige mm. and the quality of the managers that have managed in that league and Antonio Conte sits at the top with, a, with, a, uh, with the points per game re- average no manager in the history has got a better points per game record that's a fun
0: stat that's that's a really fun stat to end this episode so, thank you so much, Chris, once again, for joining in this episode. I, I honestly thought we would probably kind of be able to wrap up in 20-25 minutes, but this is gone 30-35 minutes, which is still fair because we, we got to discuss some individual numbers, some tactics as well, and why why Qantas is is the star of this Kudato victory as well. So, yeah, it was definitely worth it. So, thank you so much for joining once again, Chris, and to all our listeners as well thank you so much for tuning into our episodes and for the patrons we have a message we are going to get you bonus content every week or or on a bi-weekly basis so just keep an eye out on patreon we'll be doing more and more content as we go so thank you so much once again to everyone until the next episode bye bye take care
1: thank you mate bye